0: You've heard this advice a million times before. Know your elevator speech. Be able to recite 30 seconds of what you do. But oh, that doesn't even come close to what you can do with it. On today's episode, three key steps from Tom Henschel that will launch your elevator speech into real, genuine executive presence. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 316. Produced by Innovate Learning maximizing human potential greetings to you from orange county california this is coaching for leaders and i'm your host dave Stahoviak. leaders aren't born they're made and this weekly show gives you access to the practical wisdom that will empower you to become a better leader if you've been leading or working in organizations in any capacity, you've almost certainly heard the term elevator speech. You've also probably heard you should have an elevator speech and maybe, maybe you've even gone far enough to have your elevator speech ready, especially when someone asks you that inevitable question when you're out on the soccer field and your kid's sports team and they say, so what is it you do? And yet that isn't the end of the story on elevator speeches. And I'm really glad to have my friend Tom Henschel here on the show today to teach us about the way we can really utilize elevator speeches strategically. And by the way, it isn't just for the times that we're telling someone about what it is we do. Tom has done some wonderful thinking on this, and I'm so glad to welcome him back to the show. If you're listening for one of the first times, Tom's a regular guest on the show. He is also the host of the Look and Sound of Leadership podcast, my very favorite podcast on leadership. I never miss an episode. And Tom is also a very talented executive coach here in Southern California, works across uh, the country and even the world on coaching people, coaches a number of people in our audience and a few people in our academy. And in addition to all those things, and most importantly, is a dear friend, Tom, I'm so glad to have you back on the show.
1: It's always a pleasure, Dave. Thanks
0: so much. Well, let's talk about elevator speeches today, because I have to admit, when we first talked about this topic, and I knew you have done such some, such wonderful thinking on this, I thought we were just going to be talking about answering the what-is-it-I-do question. And it turns out we're not going to be talking about that only. We're going to be talking about a lot more, because there's a lot more we can do with an elevator speech. But but I'm but I'm curious maybe to start off what what is an elevator speech when when people hear that I have to have an elevator speech. Where are we even starting from?
1: Well, two ideas come to mind. Number one is you know why it's called an elevator speech. I think everybody has that idea in their mind, and I'd like to address that. And then I have a little definition that we can use as a kind of baseline to work from. So let me start with the first idea, which is you know why is it called an elevator speech? I think people know. This idea, which is you work in a high rise building, you walk in the lobby, you get in the elevator, you hit, you know, 45 and before the doors close, you hear somebody yell, hey, wait, hold the elevator and in comes your boss's boss's boss and the doors close. And the metaphor here is that between, you know, the time the doors close and the times the doors open on 45, something is supposed to happen. And you're supposed to do that through the magic of this thing called an elevator speech. That's I think how the how this thing got its name. But I just want to say, I think it's dreadful. It's a horrible idea. It's so unhelpful. And I mean, first of if you were your boss's boss's boss and somebody is suddenly blabbing at you like that, I, I think it would feel like an ambush. You know, like I was just trying to get in the elevator. What are you doing to me? Like, you know, so I don't think it's grounded in any reality. Plus, it's not how things happen. Like if you're trying to get more headcount or trying to get approval on a job or, you know, even trying to enhance your brand, it's like, I don't think the way to do it is to fire away at the person in the elevator. So I, I just think the whole metaphor that it's based on is faulty. It's not helpful. That's number one. And so here's my definition. This is number two. My definition that I use is an elevator speech is a crisp, concise, high-level summary of a complex, multi-layered topic. Ah. Oh. So it's crisp, concise summary, and the topic. Is complex and multi layered. And it could be you, like, what do you do? But it could be, you know, how is the trip to Atlanta to see those clients? How how are you doing on that project, that cross functional project you're working on? How are you doing interviewing for the vice president position? You know, you have, do you have good candidates? It could be any of those, right? A complex, multi layered topic, whatever that is. Which, the way you have just framed that,
0: those conversations happen. For me, it seems like almost daily in interactions. Right. Yeah.
1: And and that's my point is I think people should have this stuff ready, which just means you need to be thinking about how you want to talk. And and I frankly think we're, as a, just as a culture, I think we're pretty lazy about this. And what I'm hoping you and I get to talk about today is the idea that, number one, it's not that hard to do. And number two, the benefits are just enormous. You get to sound executive. It, it's, it's a great way to talk. Mm. Okay, so I, I'm, I'm really curious about that because
0: in some ways, what we think of as the traditional elevator speech, the kind of blasting someone with 30 seconds of information, is in a way almost easier because you can memorize that once and you mm-hmm. figure out what you're going to say and you just blast it out and i agree with you that's not probably the best method in most situations but to think on your feet and to craft something that's very concise and clear in the moment is a is a skill really and that's something that i i don't i don't know if a lot of us are really good at if we haven't really thought through the strategy of how to do that
1: ooh that's a great point so yes thinking on your feet is a great skill And I am hoping that I can give people some tools where it will help them to think on their feet, but you've hit on a point that I think is really important, which is I think elevator speeches get crafted like a piece of furniture gets crafted. It doesn't happen in the spur of the moment. Uh, So my dear friend and mentor, Lois Frankel, who wrote the book, Nice Girls Don't Get the Corner Office, Lois (laughs) talks to people all the time about networks and she has a saying that says, by the time you need a relationship, it's too late to build one. Hmm. My, right. My variation on that is by the time you need an elevator speech, it's too late to think one up. So when you run into your boss's boss's boss in the elevator who says, how's that cross-functional job going or how's that cross-functional project going for you to, Try and think it up right then. It's going to be sloppy if you haven't pre-thought about it. So one of the things I think you and I need to talk about, and we can start here, is uh, how do you think about this stuff? When do you think about it? What does it require? Because my contention is it shouldn't be onerous, and it doesn't take a lot of time. It just takes a little bit of time, but it takes consciousness. It takes choice. All right, I'm really curious about this because
0: as you're saying this, and I'm I'm so glad you said this. It's sounding onerous because if I'm thinking like of all the possible things that I could run into in a day, and and a lot of times it's not even like internal; it's external, like customers and requests and networks. Like I couldn't possibly be ready for every single conversation that could happen of the what I would say. So I'm guessing there's there's some overall principles here that would be helpful and and just help us to respond in a nimble way that that you don't we don't necessarily have to have everything scripted out.
1: Right. Yes, I think there are. So number one is you need to just begin to adopt the discipline at the end of, you name it, at the end of an event, at the end of a meeting, at the end of a conversation, at the end of an email exchange, whatever, you are going to take a little bit of time. And I mean, a little bit of time to simply say, what just happened? So you're going to be thoughtful about your work. You're going to be mindful about your work. Now you also can do it when you're washing the dishes. You can do it in the shower. You can do it driving. You can do it walking to your car at the end of the day. It doesn't matter when, but my point is we all have idle time when we kind of just mull over stuff. I think often that time is not terribly mindful. We just, we don't even know what we're thinking about. We're just kind of, you know, letting loose while well, I'm saying, wait, give yourself another few minutes and and maybe if it's only 90 seconds to simply say, okay, we had a meeting about this cross-functional project. What happened? Well, Janie is going to do this. I'm going to do that. And Mark is going to do this. So there are three things happening. So what I just did just there, that's the beginning of a framework for an elevator speech. There are three things happening. Janie's got one, Mark's got one, I've got one. That doesn't take long. You just have to choose to reflect. So does it still sound onerous? No, I don't think so.
0: So what I'm hearing you say is part of this is in order to make this really the way we want it to sound is it's an ongoing practice of having when we have significant interactions of taking the time when that's done to think that through, maybe even record it.
1: Here are the two or three Headlines, if you will, of what has just happened. Great. And the more you get in that practice that you just described, the faster it goes. So then can I just talk about the landmine we're trying to avoid here? Oh, please. So I just want to say to your listeners, you and I recorded an episode about networking. And in that episode, you and I talked about elevator speeches as a topic we should talk about, but we never got to it. But many of the ideas in that networking episode, which I think is a really great episode, have some stickiness to today's episode. And the reason I'm mentioning this because I frankly, I have to be honest with you, I can't recall whether I told this story or not, but this is a story that happens to me repeatedly. One of the things that I do in my work is I attend professional meetings, you know, chicken dinner listen to a speaker room full of people who are, you know, like me, corporate trainers, people who are in professional development, executive coaches, whatever, because I've been doing this a long time now, and I'm a senior practitioner. A lot of times people will come up to me and say, hey, Tom, you know, there's this young woman over here. She's transitioning in. She's thinking about becoming a coach. Would you talk to her? And I say, sure. And so I go over and I put my hand out and I say, hi, I'm Tom. And she goes, hi, I'm Jessica. Hi, Jessica. What do you do? at which point Jessica blathers for 2 minutes, 3 minutes, sometimes I swear to you, 4 minutes uninterrupted, and she's full of enthusiasm and she can't wait to talk about her coach training and she can't talk about her, you know, her goals for herself and she's literally just uninterrupted this enormous stream of words. And if you think that, you know, we talk about 125 words a minute, Four minutes of words, that's a lot of words. What am I supposed to take out of that? There's nothing I can grab out of that. And at a certain point, I just kind of sit back and go, uh, my hands are off the wheel. This is not mine to drive. I'm not really listening to her anymore. This is not a good moment for Jessica because I've kind of written her off. That's the moment we all want to avoid. When you're in the hallway and somebody goes, "How was the trip to Atlanta?" and you start blathering, saying whatever comes into your mind and you talk for 3 minutes uninterrupted, I want to say that's a failure. But we do it all the time. And uh, we all know people that do that
0: a lot and the tendency is for people to stop engaging with them, asking them yeah. questions, yeah. Um, yeah. having them be left off the meeting distribution because they don't they don't want to spend the time. <laughs>
1: Yes. I've done yes, it. Yes. I
0: mean, you know, it's just it's just the so, reality of the of of influence in an organization. I,
1: I, I wanna I wanna split a little bit of a hair there with you, Dave, because I do think there are people who hijack meetings and who can't control themselves. I think those people are one thing. But what you what I'm really talking about with this elevator speech right now, right here, is because you haven't thought of it, you haven't pre-sorted your material, you're just telling it in a flood. And that idea of not pre-sorting keeps you from having executive presence. Mm. That's the landmine we're trying to avoid. And this idea of pre-sorting or prepping doesn't have to take long. It's while you're walking the dog. It's while you're sorting the laundry. So that's my point. That's, that's what we want to avoid.
0: Well, this is perfect because one of the common things I hear from our listeners and questions we get is on executive presence. And it's, it's often this nebulous topic of what does that mean? Mm. And one of the things that for me it means is get to the bottom line quickly and be very concise. And it means a lot of other things too. And that's why I think this is so important. And so if we break down the elevator speech... What are some of the elements you think of when you're coaching people on doing this better?
1: So I'd like to start with a metaphor, an analogy, a visual which is to think of a piece of pastry. And this is a pastry that is made of a paper thin piece of dough or, you know, the actual kind of pastry piece and then maybe a little bit of custard and then another piece of pastry crust and then The custard again and layer after layer after layer, alternating. So if you picture that pastry, my job delivering my elevator speech is to lay down that very baseline. Now I'm not gonna do a whole ton. I'm just gonna lay down a little bit and stop. This is why I'm not gonna, it's not an ambush. I'm gonna lay down a little bit and stop, and then you get to ask me a question, and that's the custard. And then I lay down a little bit, and then you ask me another question. And then I lay down my third piece. So an elevator speech is actually a conversation tailored to the other person. Uh, it's not really a speech at all. Right. It's a it dialogue. Is, yes, it is a dialogue. That's right. And how much more engaging is that, mm. right? I mean, wouldn't we all like to be in a conversation as opposed to being flooded? again, one of my analogies is that when I say to you, Hey Dave, how's it going with the Academy? I feel like I'm extending a little teacup and I'm hoping you will fill my teacup. What I do not want is for you to pull out your fire hose and slam open the floodgates and blast me. Yeah. But again, that's what we tend to do to each other. That's Jessica at that meeting talking four minutes uninterrupted. So, when I say, how's the Academy, if you give me a little bit, because by the way, you don't know why I'm asking the question. You don't know what I'm interested in. Right? Yeah. So my point is, you lay down a little bit and listen for their interest. Let them ask the next question sooner. And
0: we want, ultimately, for this to be a dialogue, be a conversation that is both parties being involved versus one person just saying whatever they want to say, thinking that's what someone else wants to hear.
1: Yep. That's where I come from. So uh, I hope what you and I are doing right now is exploding people's brains about what an elevator speech is, because I'm guessing that most people don't think of an elevator speech as a conversation.
0: No. And that's where the I, neither of us are, I can't remember if I said this up front, but neither of us are big fans of this this topic or this wording for what this is called. But I didn't right. I couldn't really put my finger on why until just now. And now right, as well, I think about this, I'm like, well, that's it. it. Because it's if it's a quote unquote speech, it's a it's only a one-way communication. It's not a it's not a conversation, which is normally what we want to have whenever we're trying to influence and to be present in an executive sense, like
1: we were just talking about. So I often talk about the three qualities of a really good elevator speech. And we have talked actually about the first and the third. So the first one is be short, meaning fill up the teacup, don't hit the fire hose. That's number one. And number three is this idea that it's tailored to the listener, that you don't actually know why the question's being asked, so pay attention. Now, I'm not necessarily saying that you should ask back and interview them. I mean, they did ask for information, offer up some, but then stop sooner and listen that's one in three. Number two, a uh, really great elevator speech is memorable. Well, how do you make an elevator speech memorable? And I think there are two tricks, and they are just tricks that trigger people's memories. One is use a number, and number two is use a label. People who listen to my show, The Look and Sound of Leadership, <laughs> listen to me talk about it the sorting and labeling tool. I talk about it all the time. This is a mini version of sorting and labeling. And the reason why sorting and labeling is so powerful is because it actually triggers things in our brains. So if, if you say to me, how was your trip to Atlanta? And I say, we found out four things about our clients needs. And I stop. That's all I say. I bet you're going to have another question. And you are going to be able to repeat some part of that when you go to your next meeting and talk about Tom went to Atlanta. Mm. Nice. So I used the number four. I used client needs, right? Now, so be memorable. Use a number, use labels, at least to get started. And in your prep work, that's really all you're looking for, right? It's like what I said before about Janie's got one thing, Mark's got one thing, and I've got one thing. There are three things that are happening, right? So those numbers help us And we sound smarter, more executive by using a number.
0: And people latch onto that too. I've had times where I've said, there's three elements that came out of this meeting, and then I'll end up saying two and we start talking about something and then I, I, I've had times where I've forgotten about the third. <laughs> and, yep. and then someone I'm will kidding, say, right? wait a minute, you said there were three. And I can, maybe this just shows that I'm getting old, Tom, but I can, this happened to me multiple times recently. I was like, oh yeah, I did say there were three. What was the third? <laughs> a couple, One time I remember like, what was the third? I said, oh yeah. But it, there is something powerful about a number that as soon as you quantify it, people's brains right away are listening for those three things and if they don't hear it clearly often i found
1: they'll ask to get clarity on the three things you said you were going to say and isn't that wonderful that they're engaged enough to care about what you're talking about yes. right so yes. yes numbers numbers create what's called gap right so if i if i to use your example I tell you there are three things, but I only tell you two. Yes, your brain wants to fill in number three because there's an open slot. So, and by the way, I think a very powerful number is one. There was one thing that happened in the meeting today that we need to talk about. That I'm going to get your attention when I say that, mm-hmm. as opposed to something happened in the meeting today that we need to talk about. It's not the same. It's just not the same. But when I put that num- number in there, There's one thing that happened in the meeting that we need to talk about. It gets your attention. Mm. So I'm just going to do a quick recap here. The three qualities of a great elevator speech to me are, number one, keep it short. This is this idea of little pieces laid out one at a time. Let the other person ask questions in between. It's a dialogue. Number two, be memorable. Use labels and numbers. And number three, tailor it to the listener. You don't know why they asked the question that got you started. Give them a chance to ask another question.
0: It's not lost on me either that, that you did that very concisely and that there were three and you told us there were going to be three even before you said that.
1: <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So I mean, that, yes, you're right. I'm modeling what we're talking
0: about. No, that's yeah. great. The, the one piece, the one piece I'm not sure I'm clear on is tell me the distinction between label and number.
1: Oh, thanks. Great question. Okay. So I think we all understand numbers, right? right. Three things happen in Atlanta. now, Is there a label in there yet? Maybe. Atlanta, right? But the label is going to be, if you think about opening up a file drawer and you see file folders stacked, you're going to look for the labels on the folders. Or if you go to your computer, you're going to find the folder. And the way you're going to find the folder you need is because it has a label. So you want to label the things in my head. So it might be somebody says to me, what's happening with that cross-functional project you're working on? with the tax team. And I would say, well, we have two milestones that we've hit. Now, I think I used a label and a number, milestone two, and you now have them. And now I'm going to label each one. One is about regulations, and I can tell you a little bit about that. And uh, one is about contracts, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about that. So
0: to continue the analogy of the the file cabinet, the label is what it says on the folder the number is we're articulating how many folders there are that we're Bingo. going to be going to be talking about right yep so in practice i'm curious what this looks like and well, how it sounds cuz this sounds the sounds beautiful when someone asks you something complicated what's an example tom of a time you've utilized a
1: elevator speech well number 1 just just as a kind of baseline i will i want to start with the simplest s- simplest one which is when people say to me what do you do usually i say i'm an executive coach and i stop talking so i say four words in answer to their question and then i wait cuz sometimes they glaze over and they look like a stale donut. <laughs> and sometimes, you know, and sometimes they're interested or sometimes they want to talk about life coaching or their brother-in-law was a coach or whatever, whatever. I don't know. Right. But in other words, I want to test their interest. I want to tailor it to the listener. So my point is I'm I'm throwing out bait to see what they chew on, what they stick to. So I just want to lay that out as a baseline. I know I'm not answering your question. yet. Well,
0: in a- You and I were at a conference recently, and someone came up and literally asked you that question as you and I were talking. And I remember you responding in that way. And I remember thinking at the time, not even having had this conversation yet, was that was interesting how little he said and how much he was waiting for what
1: the other person's response was. So that's brilliant. Right. Because listen, one one of the ways that we all talk about elevator speeches is for example if you're out of work right or if you're networking to which i go then it doesn't matter whether i'm talking or you're talking we're really trying to build a relationship here right yeah so if so i remember that woman came up and said what do you do and i say i'm an executive coach stop talking and now if she wants to talk she thinks i'm a brilliant listener right because i'm not talking and she thinks i'm great fine i don't care it's just relationship building I, i don't need to talk about myself now, it's different at work when somebody says, how was the trip to Atlanta? How's that cross-functional project going? No, I have a responsibility at this point to share information. So my, my purpose in using that as an example, what do you do? I'm an executive coach, is to give an example of short. I hope it's memorable. And I don't know yet if it's tailored to the listener because I'm going to be watching. So I just want to kind of set that up as a real neutral baseline. And I've taught myself to do that. Because it is hard to stop talking, right? Mm. So, but now I do want to answer your question because something happened and and I was aware when it was over that I had not stepped on a landmine and I was surprised that I hadn't. So I was at a one of these professional meetings talking to another coach, guy who doesn't know me terribly well And he says to me, do you use assessments in your coaching? Now, I I need to stop and go, I don't think it's important whether you, Dave, or your listeners know anything about assessments or anything I'm about to talk about. This could be about, you know, building bridges. It doesn't matter what the topic is. What I want to model for you is what happened was my sense was that this was a person who is not in the executive coaching world. He's a life coach. So my assumption was he might know a little bit about assumptions but about assessments rather, but he might not. So he says, do you use assessments? And I said, yeah, I do. I use psychological assessments and behavioral assessments. And I stopped talking. And he said, what's the difference? Hmm. And I said, well, the psychological behavior essentially measures people's inner workings and behavior measures people's outer workings. And I stopped talking. And he said, you use that with your executives? And I said, well, actually I use it in three different settings. Please notice a number and a label. So I said, I use it in three different settings. Yes, I use it with executives, but I also do it with leadership teams and I do it in my training, corporate training work. And I stopped talking. And then he started talking about assessments, and that was great. And later what I thought was, I'm so glad I didn't just start blabbing about assessments because I love talking about assessments, and I could easily do five minutes on assessments, but yeah. I didn't. So that's what it has sounded like for me when I've done it well. So it's that, I, I keep wanting to say baklava.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's the pastry no, that's, that's in my right? mind. Yeah, 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 that's
1: perfect. <laughs> Right, I think of it as a Napoleon, but yes, yeah, same yeah. thing,
0: right? So you're you're laying down. I love that image of you're laying down the that first uh, that first layer of pastry, and then you're inviting the conversation to continue, but you're also listening for where is this conversation going? That is going to serve the person who's asking the question, and then by virtue of that serving me ultimately better of building a relationship with them.
1: hmm Yes. Mm. Yes to everything you just said. Now, sometimes, especially at work, going back to one of the very first things you and I talked about today, this idea that elevator speeches aren't just reserved for the question, what do you do? They're also for how was the trip to Atlanta or how's that cross-functional project going? You may need to do a little bit longer layer, Right. In there's a the person may really be asking for information. I think the challenge goes back to number one of the three qualities of a great elevator speech. Keeping it short takes so much mental energy. It is hard to stop talking. And it means that you need to front load good information up into the top of your speaking so that when you stop talking, there's actually something in there. That your first hundred words aren't filler
0: my sense
1: is this is a really
0: challenging thing for a lot of leaders. And you work, Tom, with, <laughs> hey, is, is that an understatement? Yeah, it's true. No, you're right. <laughs> you, you in particular, I mean, you work with really smart, high-achieving people. Mm-hmm. And they've been rewarded and paid well for their entire careers of saying a lot and having a lot of knowledge and having the answers. When you work with people to get better at this to front load, to be short, to be concise. What do you find is helpful for them in changing the
1: behavior? If it's around being concise, I will often play a game with them, which is the finger snap game, which is I'm going to ask them questions because I'm going to try and get them to fire hose me. I'm going to try and get them to talk about something they love and talk long And the instant I get impatient as a listener, I'm just going to snap my fingers. And it's a cue to them to begin to be aware that it's not actually about them. Because, look, we all can talk long about our children, our work, the projects that we do outside the home. You know, like, we all can talk long because we've all got a lot of passion for what we do. It's hard to talk shorter. So... Literally, that finger snap game is simply, it's like putting a shock collar on the dog, right? It's simply a way of calling people's attention to unconscious behavior. And I hope people have partners that they can do that with. I could imagine that in your academy that, you know, I I don't know that it's realistic, but you all could have a day where everybody tries to be concise. It's hard. It takes a lot of mental energy to be concise
0: you've just thrown another topic in for our monthly symposium for sure so
1: <laughs> go do it
0: and what i heard you say is this is practice so mm-hmm. whether it is practicing with a coach or practicing with a colleague or maybe we're even practicing ourselves but it, it, there there is something about having another person involved that is who's not you <laughs> because right. they're more objective and they can cut you on the things that where you're saying you know This is really interesting to me, but it's not, it's really not about, it's not about us, right? It's about the audience. It's about the person we're communicating with. So there's something about having that checkpoint of that other person who says, nope, stop. Let's Mm -hmm. try that again and do it more concisely.
1: This is especially true and especially challenging for those extroverts in the world. This is less challenging for the introverts. So there is a woman that I work with who is really, really smart and really, really introverted. And the challenge for her is she's really parsimonious with her information because she talks so short because she's so introverted. She actually doesn't want to be talking. She wants to go to her office and close the door. So that's a different challenge. On the other hand, there's a CEO I spoke with just this morning who really, truly cannot shut up. And he thinks he's talking short. And it's like, oh, Bill, come on, man. (laughs) That was not short. And he just he's not calibrated right. Do you know what I mean? He's not calibrated in a realistic way the way others are calibrated. So that idea of having someone else to work with, whether you're on the introvert scale or the extrovert scale, is important because it gives you a reality check. I like that idea of calibration. It's so easy
0: for us to get the blinders on and be inside our own heads and think, I, I find myself doing this all the time, think that this is going to be something that's going to be valuable to people or the way I'm saying it. And... It's often not uh, what I think it is. It's either too much or too little and often too much because if we don't have someone else challenging on it, it's, it's easy to make that mistake.
1: Because I am an extrovert and because I often talk for a living and I love to talk, I have adopted a little phrase in my head now that is my kind of constant mantra and it has really helped me and it is this. The longer I talk, the less effective I am. And as a coach, I can only tell you how true that is. The more I'm talking in a coaching session, the less effective I am. So, and it's hard because I love to talk. <laughs> well, and it's it's
0: really hard for me to make a case for the interview going any longer now that you've said that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Thank you very much. I appreciate that. <laughs> so
0: if you're not listening to the look and the sound of leadership, Tom's show once a month, speaking of concise, Tom, one of the criticisms I get from our audience sometimes is our show's too long. And so I'm always thinking about this. Your show is 10 to 15 minutes a month. And it's a fabulous compliment to this show. It is one I never miss. If you found Tom's wisdom helpful today, I really encourage you to be listening in addition to the look and sound of leadership. It is just, it's been a A guiding light for me on so many of the things I think of and relationships with others and coaching of people in my sphere of influence. So thank you, Tom, for not only being here today, but thank you for 10 years now of providing that as a resource to so many of us. I know we have many listeners uh, in both of our audiences, and I'm just very grateful for it as always.
1: Thank you, Dave. I mean, it's hard to express how grateful I am for all your support and your friendship. I
0: hear people all the time tell me they want to get better with their executive presence. If you hear someone say that to you this week, pass along this episode. Thanks in advance if you do. And if you've just started listening to the show recently, I hope you'll take my call to action to activate your free Coaching for Leaders membership. You can access that at the coachingforleaders.com website. Completely free. gives you access to Tons in the Coaching for Leaders library, including the entire podcast library over the last six years, searchable by topic. And you'll also get immediate access to my free 10-day audio course titled 10 Ways to Empower the People You Lead. If you'll give me 10 minutes a day for 10 days, it will help you to get the most immediate, practical actions to become a better leader. And one of those lessons is on coaching, of course. And lesson number one, in fact, is with Tom Henschel and I talking about coaching. And as you've heard on today's episode, Tom is just masterful at telling stories and using analogies in order to illustrate very complex topics And he did a masterful job of describing coaching through storytelling on Lesson 1. If you haven't heard that, go over to coachingforleaders.com, sign up for your free membership. You'll get access to that free course, plus a ton of other resources on the Coaching for Leaders website. Now, a few related episodes to today's conversation. Back on episode 272, Muriel Mignon-Wilkins was on talking about how to enhance your executive presence. We had a very comprehensive conversation about many of the tactics that uh, those of us who are thinking about executive presence can use in order to enhance it. And I think if this is something that's top of mind for you right now, or someone in your network, I would certainly encourage you to check out episode 272. It's a great compliment to today's conversation. Also, Tom mentioned earlier, episode 279, uh, one of our previous episodes, How to Grow Your Professional Network. So many of the concepts we talked about today fit hand in hand with the farming versus hunting when we're building relationships that tom and i talked about on that episode if you are wanting to grow and enhance your professional network This year, I would absolutely encourage you to listen to episode 279. And finally, I'm also recommending listen to episode 300. It's probably my favorite chat with Tom on the podcast uh, since he's been appearing, which is many times on the show. On episode 300, Tom turned the table on me, or turned the tables on me, I should say, and uh, interviewed me for the show. It's the only time I've ever been interviewed on the show, and we talked about some of my career background and some of uh, the ways I've utilized uh, my experience in order to host the show over the last six years. If you've been listening to the show for a bit and you missed episode 300, I think you'll find that a very helpful listen. You can reach all of those by going to coachingforleaders.com slash the episode number. Bonnie and I return next week for the question and answer show, first Monday of the month. You can submit your question for consideration anytime by going to coachingforleaders. Dot com slash feedback. Have a great week and speak to you again next Monday. Take care.